Warning, content not suitable for children. Listener discretion advised, yo. Screaming Chewy Show, your source of entertainment and overall fuckery. And the show starts now. Hey everyone, quick message from Tucson's Rising Phoenix Fitness and Defense. Help treat anxiety and depression with martial arts training and education. Develop the confidence, skills, and fitness you need to stay safe. Our focus is real-world self-defense tactics, practical and effective for everyone. You can find them at 4500 East Speedway Boulevard, number 4. Tucson AZ 85712 or you can call them at 520-838-1592. They are open from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. So hit them up. Learn martial arts, very therapeutic, and you can learn to kick ass and kick depression's ass as well. So um hit them up. <laughs> Everyone, welcome back to another exciting episode on Screaming Chewy Show. I'd like to welcome special guest, Howard Bloom. How you doing, Howard? Chewy, it's good to hear you. <laughs> I wish I could also see you. <laughs> right? Yeah, man. My bad. I'm like way behind on my YouTube. I'm like so behind on my videos. So I'm taking a little break from recording video right now. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, I'm happy to be the break. <laughs> But um, I am so excited to talk to you. Um, I mean, you know, just just your your bio and what you do and your interest. I mean, you got my attention, bro. Why don't you tell me about yourself? Well, let's see. I'm the author of seven books. Um, I appear on 545 radio stations every Wednesday night um, on uh, Coast to Coast, the highest rated overnight talk radio show in North America. And there's a film about me. It's a 66-minute documentary. It's uh, won two awards. It's called The Grand Unified Theory of Howard Bloom. And I, Chewy, I have taken on a very odd um, challenge in life. And it is to be what I call an omnologist, somebody who is who's familiar with many, many, many different disciplines, many, many, many different um, tunnels, um, different uh, stovepipes of specialization, and is able to, I try, to fly over the surface, over the landscape, and use all of the gopher holes created by all of the narrow specialists as pixels in a really big picture. And so um, I have had one of the weirdest life lives you've ever imagined. 
Okay, I got to give you this, even though it will um, make me uh, shrink with you with <laughs> uh, at the audacity of bear daring to say this. So, you know, I've worked at this understanding as much of the universe and the human soul as I possibly can um, in one lifetime for a very long time. And then Channel 4 TV in Britain did a whole half hour on me. And they said, Howard Bloom is the Einstein, Newton, Darwin, and Freud of the 21st century. So, that, and, and the Office of the Secretary of Defense has thrown a forum based on one of my books and brought in people from the State Department, uh, the Energy Department, DARPA, IBM, and MIT. And the sheik who runs Dubai has named a racehorse after one of my books. And the 11th president of India uh, and I worked together for four years on harvesting solar power in space and transmitting it down to Earth. And the um, co uh, the co-founder and co-chair of the Asian Space Technology Summit in Kuala Lumpur, and a whole mess of the least likely things in the in the human universe have gone on in my life. And since I've been out to see the really big picture and bring as bring the fruits of as many disciplines as possible together into one big banquet, um, that's it's it's a perfect life. I couldn't have asked for a better life. Oh my God, you're on you're on a mission, bro. That's a you just blew my well, mind and everything you just said. <laughs> well, also, um, I have a friend. And I used to call this friend on the phone and say, look, every day that you wake up is the first day of the most important 20 years of your life. And after a year of telling my friend this, I decided to look him up on Wikipedia and see how old he was. He was 78 years old. His name is Buzz Aldrin. And he called me to get those messages because he needed them. Well, today is my birthday. I just turned 78 years old. I woke up this morning. That makes this the first day of the most important 20 years of my life. And my girlfriend, who is 27, made me swear that if she's going to live another 40 years, I have to live another 40 years. And then two gorgeous friends came over to give me a present on my birthday and they said, we're in on that deal. Will, uh, one of them was thinking of leaving New York. And I hate the thought of her leaving New York. She's bright. She's written three books. Um, she's gorgeous. And she said, I'll stay in New York if you stay alive another 40 years. So, Chewy, wow. it is impossible to stay alive another 40 years <laughs> when you are 78 years old. But I have committed myself to doing everything I can to achieve it. And the three beautiful women at that. So you can't get better than that as a motivator. Well, Howard, I think if anybody could do it, I'm pretty sure you're the man. <laughs> Thanks, Joey. So what direction would you like to take off on? What should we explore? Um, I want to explore all of it, bro. Honestly, um, I, I love the science aspect of it. Um, science has always interested me. Um, but uh, you know, I also want to hear about you know a little bit about, about your background. Um, maybe what inspires you. You know, I I want to know it all, Howard. <laughs> well, the deal is, I'm, I'm 10 years old, Chewy. I'm sitting in my family's big empty living room. Um, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. There's nobody in the house but me. You know how you know the location of every book your parents own because it never moves. You know, it was there when you first came to consciousness. It's still there when you're four or five years old or 10 years old. So I'm 10 years old, and there's a book that's never been in my parents' library. I don't know where it came from. 
and it's sitting in my lap and I open it up and it says the first two rules of science are these, the truth at any price, including the price of your life. And it gives the example of Galileo and it says he would have been willing to go to the stake uh, to defend his truth, which I would find 30 years later was not exactly right at all. <laughs> but I needed this heroic mythological vision as inspiration. And the second rule of science is look at things right under your nose as if you've never seen them before, and then proceed from there. Look at things that you and everybody around you take for granted, things that are invisible to you, and bring them into visibility, and then proceed from there. And at the age of 12, um, I discovered, well, first of all, I, I accumulated my first vaguely scientific credentials. I co-designed a computer that won some science fair awards. I built my first Boolean algebra machine. I had a meeting with the head of the graduate physics department at the University of Buffalo. And um, we were discussing the hottest scientific topic of the time, Big Bang versus steady state theory of the universe. And we came out of his office. He put his hand on my shoulder and said to my mom, you don't have to save for grad school for him. He'll get fellowships in theoretical physics at any school he wants. And um, I was tutored in outside the box science by the head of research and development for the valve company, the Moog valve company, which made the valves for the first plane to ever break the sound barrier and the first plane to ever take humans to the edge of space. So I've got all that going on in legitimate science at the age of 12. And I realized there is something called the ecstatic experience. It's something that doesn't exist in my synagogue. I've never experienced it, but it apparently can be manipulated. It is part of the forces of history. It's what Adolf Hitler manipulated, this sense of being exalted above yourself, of becoming a part of something bigger than yourself. Um, that's, that is what helps move the forces of history. And I become absolutely fascinated by it. And, um, and I hear that there's a book. When I'm 14, I hear there's a book called The Varieties of the Relig Religious Experience. And from the title, it sounds like a book that was written directly for me, for this curiosity about the ecstatic experience. It takes four months for me to get it because it's Buffalo, New York, and there is no Amazon yet. And Buffalo is not a book rich town or at least wasn't back then. Um, and I get it, and it's as if William James, the founder of American psychology, had taken a bunch of lab specimens of ecstatic experiences and laid them out on a lab bench and said, I can't explain these in terms of the science of my time. You're coming along 50 years later. You will have tools I never had. It's your job to work on this. And then much, much later on, I get a job, I trip through a series of accidents into rock and roll. And I go to my first rock and roll concert as editor of a rock magazine. And uh, look, Chewy, I've been listening to Rachmaninoff, Beethoven, Bartok, and Stravinsky. I don't really know anything about rock, but you give me any subject on the planet. And if I love the audience that you've directed me toward, and you give me enough research material, or I can find enough on my own, I can give you a magazine on anything because I will love your audience. So I've tripped into this magazine about something I knew nothing about, rock and roll. And I go to my first rock concert. It's Fleetwood Mac at uh, Carnegie Hall. And it's before Lindsey Graham, Lindsey Buckingham, whatever his name is, uh, Buckingham and Graham. Uh, uh, I'm blanking on the name of the lead singer who would later take Fleetwood Mac to greater heights. But those two were not in the band yet. 
Um, and um, I know why I'm blocking on the name because of Lindsey Graham, the guy in Congress or the Senate. But at any rate, um, so Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham, um, it's before they've joined the band. And I walked into the auditorium and I realized that all of us are very self-conscious, all of us in the audience. We're all trying to look cool to the people behind us and the people on either side of us. And, um, and then the lights go down. And within 10 minutes, and the band is on stage, and within 10 minutes, we lose that sense of a personal envelope trying to maintain a, uh, uh, an image of control. We lose that totally. And we get absorbed in what's going on on stage. We get absorbed in the music. And then a half an hour into the concert, the electricity goes out on stage. There is no uh -huh. stage lighting. There is no stage sound system. There's nothing on the stage. And the lights automatically go up on the audience. So if anything was guaranteed to break the magic of our feeling that we've dissolved into uh, a, a common mass, instead of being individual elements of our audience vying for attention. Um, if anything's gonna break that magic, it's gonna be those stage lights going on over our head. And, and um, Mick Fleetwood, who is this tall string bean of a man, comes down to the very foot of the proscenium on the stage and raises his fists in the air and says in defiance, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to rock and roll. And he galvanizes, galvanizes us together in a single mass. We feel we are a part of something greater than ourselves through Lindsey Buckingham's defiance of a common obstacle. Um, and the show goes on without electricity, without sound. It goes on acoustically. And what happens to us in the audience is the kind of exhilaration that I've been looking for ever since I was 12 years old. Um, the kind of ecstatic experience. And one other little note, back when I was in high school, remember when I got interested in this stuff at the age of 12, I had never experienced it, but I hankered after it. Well, when I was in high school, all the kids hated me. All the kids in Buffalo hated me no matter where I went. Um, and, but they voted me in my high school the head of the programming committee, which meant that I went on stage five days a week in front of an audience of 350 people who hated my guts and acted as the MC, and I programmed two assemblies. We had an assembly for 45 minutes every morning before class, and I programmed two of those assemblies. Um, so one day, uh, the juniors came to me, and they said, we're having a dance. Could you advertise it for us? And they didn't realize the cutting irony of what they were asking, because if there was a dance anywhere in Buffalo, New York, I was cordially invited to stay as far away as possible preferably uh, Cleveland or Albuquerque. Um, so nonetheless, and, and I can't dance, Joey. I, I can't do an awful lot of things that hey, normal people can neither. do. I can't, <laughs> so, so, I mean, I can't catch a ball. I can't throw a ball. Uh, I'm, I'm clumsy. So um, I decide to put a record on a turntable behind the stage and to dance to it. And remember, I can't do the foxtrot. I can't do the waltz. I can't do anything. So apparently it looks like a Looney Tune drawn on LSD on a night when Chuck Jones, the guy who used to draw the Looney Tunes, had just dropped acid. I mean, because I can't do anything normal, it was the craziest abnormal 
you've ever seen in your life. And I saw the faces of the audience melting, especially the girl who hated me the most. And I saw their pupils widening and their eyes widening. And I saw them come together in a common blob of energy. 350 people who were part of a common blob of energy. And I saw that energy reach itself out to me like a pseudopod, like a tunnel. And I saw all that energy come through my body. I had an out-of-body experience. I felt I was on the ceiling watching all of this take place. In fact, vividly, that's what I experienced. Um, and I saw that energy from the audience flow up through my body to my head and be transmogrified somewhere around my head and then flow back to the audience. And then I saw their pupils widening even wider. And it was a continuous feedback loop. It was a reverberatory circuit. And, and when it was over, um, the audience did something they had never done before in my time at the high school. I would never do again, not for football heroes, not for homecoming queens, not for kids who had just come back from being foreign students in Italy. They surged to, to the foot of the stage. They picked me up on their shoulders and they carried me out of the auditorium and carried me up the pathway to the building where our classes took place. Only then did they let me down. It was astonishing. So I personally had experienced this ecstatic experience after pursuing it for four years, after being interested in it from both a scientific point of view and an experiential point of view, I wanted to experience it. Well, I had. So when I saw what, the Fleet, what Fleetwood Mac, and especially Mick Fleetwood, accomplished in galvanizing that audience and creating um, an ecstatic experience within that audience, I recognized that I'd been looking for the gods within us ever since I was 12 years old. And I had suddenly found myself in the lands where the gods were. I had suddenly found myself in the middle in an entire field based on an ecstatic ritual where the gods come alive inside of us, where soul is reigns supreme. So in that, that's a short version of my story. And, and I then eventually founded uh, a PR firm um, and in, in the business, because after I'd been in the business, the record industry, for a couple of years, I was considered one of the top, top experts in the field. I mean, take that magazine that I had edited, that had brought me into rock and roll to begin with. I increased its circulation 211%, and Chet Flippo, one of the founding editors of Rolling Stone, said that I had single-handedly created a new magazine genre, the heavy metal magazine. Oh, so yeah. that's, yeah, so that's not bad. So I decided to start a PR firm. I had a lot of nudging. The person who nudged me in particular was Seymour Stein, the founder and, and uh, chief executive officer at Sire Records, uh, the man who would later discover Madonna. Back then he had Echo and the Bunny Man and the Climax Blues Band and Eno. And uh, I think he later got the B-52s and a bunch of people like that. And he stuck his head into a, a cubicle where I was working one day and said, Schmuck, if you're so smart, why don't you have your own company? <laughs> so I started my own PR company and I ended up working with Prince, Michael Jackson, Bob Marley, Bette Midler, 
Um, Billy Joel, Billy Idol, Paul Simon, Peter Gabriel, David Byrne, ACDC, Aerosmith, Kiss, Queen, Run DMC, um, ZZ Top, uh, Joan Jett, Chaka Khan, um, and, uh, and, and others um, on that par. And oh. I worked on the premise, you know, if you walked into my office and you wanted me to represent you, I sat you down and I gave you a lecture. And I told you, look, if you expect me to a manufacture an artificial mask for you, um, an image, and to say, to sit back and say, kid, with this image, I'm gonna make you a star, you've come to the wrong place. Um, if that's what you want, I'll send you to my best competitor and I'll have you in a meeting at his office in two hours. If you're gonna work with me, you have to understand. Music is not about an exchange of pieces of plastic. It is not about an exchange of downloads. It is not about an exchange of money. It's not about markets. It's not about product. It's about human soul. It is about an exchange of human soul. And if you're going to work with me, um, I'm going to spend six weeks producing no results that you can see, studying everything you've ever written and everything that's ever been written about you and every album cover I can get my hands on. And then I'm going to insist on coming out to your territory and sitting now with you alone no wives, no assistants, no managers, no intercessors of any kind. And we are going to spend between one and three days together because when you sit down at two o'clock in the afternoon and you've got an album due, you're supposed to write, a, you know you're supposed to write a lyric, you're on deadline. And you, have, you are absolutely certain you cannot write a lyric. And you have no idea of how you've ever written a lyric in the past. But by four in the afternoon, there is a lyric in front of you. My job is to find the gods inside of you who wrote that lyric. When you go on stage, you have that experience of seeing the, the eyes of the audience widen on a really good night and the audience melting and sending its energy through you as if you were an empty pipe. And you have an out-of-body experience and you are danced by something much bigger than yourself. You are danced like a puppet on strings. Um, I'm gonna find the gods inside of you who danced you. That's my mission. That's my job on your behalf. Wow. Why? because you don't just owe your audience your song. You owe your audience your life. The bar is open. Sit back, grab a cold one, and get ready for the news you didn't even know you needed. From the frozen wasteland of Western North Dakota to the tropical playground of Florida, it's time for tales of wonder and amazement. Put the kids to bed and pour yourself a drink. Lock the doors and close the blinds. Break out the cocaine and hookers. It's time for Happy Hour News. The history and future of black people. A realistic assessment. Finally, a book that breaks free of the narrative. A book that takes on the misinformation of the white liberal. Learn how the Democratic Party created the KKK and Jim Crow laws that turned dogs and hoses on black Americans in the 1960s. Find out the real motive for affirmative action and purging the past. Follow along the exciting African battles in Zululand and Ethiopia where warriors with spears beat back advanced armies. Imagine a future of a Wakanda-like city being planned in Senegal by music artist Akon. This book has it all. 
Find out more at Amazon.com backslash author backslash Roderick Edwards. If you have superstardom in you, um, and, and it's an implicit thing that some people have and most people do not, um, then we will work together and turn you into an icon. And if we turn you into an icon, kids who are 12 years old, 13 years old, 14 years old, going through one of the biggest crises of their lives, they're going from childhood to sexuality, and nobody has charted the course for them, and they feel like they are going mad. Those kids will put your posters up on their walls, and the story of your life will be the trellis on which they will grow. Um, it will be the framework on which they grow. You will become the role model um, stamped into them for the rest of your lives. So you don't just owe your audience your songs. You owe your audience your life. And you don't just owe your audience the superficial you. You owe your audience the gods inside of you. Oh, my God. That's wow, dude. <laughs> I'm so motivated right now. You're amazing. Well, that, that was the shortest summation of all of us I've ever been able to pull off in my life. So, <laughs> so, so I owe you for getting me to, to express it um, that way. But that was the job. And then in 1988, I got sick um, and nobody had a clue as to what it was. No doctor was able to diagnose it. I finally diagnosed it myself. It was chronic fatigue syndrome. But I was so sick that I walked into my office one day and told my staff, I don't know whether I'm dying or what, but something is going on. I cannot continue to work here. I'm giving you the company. In two weeks, I will be gone. And in two weeks, I was gone, and I spent the next 15 years in bed. Um, and I was, for five years, I was two weeks to speak, and two weeks to have another person in the room with me. Um, but I had gotten onto the internet in 1983. I had envied college professors from the late 1970s that they were able to get onto the internet and I couldn't. And so by the time I got sick in 1988, I'd been on the internet for five years. And it took me three years to discover that I could no longer even attempt to do any of the things that I'd previously done. Oh. Uh, I could, for one thing, I could not try to sit up in, a, in an office chair to do my work. My body simply didn't have enough energy for it. So I got my assistant to set up um, two computers, because in those days, two computers had less computing power than your phone, and uh, a Chinese box to allow me to control the two of them from one monitor and one keyboard. And um, as I said, I was two weeks to have another person in the room with me and two weeks to talk. But I founded uh, two international scientific groups, and I wrote three books. That's where my first three books came from. So... You know, I, but I really needed to get out of the music industry. I had learned every lesson that I wanted to learn. Um, I'd gotten as close to seeing or creating a Beatles phenomena as I could possibly get in my lifetime. Um, and when Mick Jagger's assistant approached me, I didn't want to work with a spoiled rock star. Uh, I'd been there before. Um, when uh, U2 came to me, I really didn't like their music. Um, I really wasn't interested, and they could sense that because. I'd answered my intellectual questions. And now, the, the, now it was time for me to come back and go back into my science and take all the lessons I have learned back into my science with me. And since then, 
I've created a field called omnology. It's for the promiscuously curious, the carnivorously curious, the people who just can't stop being curious. And it's there so that when you're in your sophomore year of college and your dad sits you down and says, look, you're interested in our history. You're interested in neuroscience. You're interested in cinema. Make up your mind until you make up, do you want to be an art historian? Do you want to be a neuroscientist? Or do you want to be a filmmaker? And until you make up your mind, you're nothing. And omnology is there to fling the finger at your dad and say, fuck you, dad. Um, I'm, I have all of these areas of curiosity. I'm going to follow them simultaneously for the rest of my life, for as long as I remain passionate about them. And if your new curiosities arise, I will follow those too. And so when we, we, I hit the age of 40, along with all my friends, and all my friends are wondering why they're here on planet Earth, and they're all buying, uh, they're all, if they're women, planning elaborate divorces so they can find out who they really are. If they're men, they're buying little red sports cars and picking up blondes and cheating on their wives because they don't know why they're here. I will be coming back from the wilderness, my multiple curiosity, with my first answer. And while my friends feel they're at the end of their life, I will know that I'm at the beginning of mine. That's omnology. So I have now written articles in peer-reviewed journals or given lectures at scholarly conferences in 12 different scientific fields, Chewy. Um, I really had to work my ass off to reestablish my scientific credentials um, when I left the music industry, because who is going to take seriously as a scientific thinker, a guy who has worked with Michael Jackson and Prince? Mm -hmm. I mean, give me a break. Um, but I did it. I've now been, as I said, published or have lectured in 12 different scientific fields. And, and I'll tell you, the view from above, when you can't soar across, uh, across the landscape of all of those disciplines and knit them together, is exhilarating. It is amazing. I love this. You know, and especially, you know, when it comes to science and you try and look at the universe um you know how uh, i'm not too familiar with quantum physics but basically we're all one right we're all the same spaces well, we're space all children kinda. of the big bang mm -hmm. i mean we are cousins to stones stars and moons because we're all children of the big bang yeah and you know people don't understand i'm like you know the iron in your blood, that's the same iron you find in the ground. You know, you have metal in, you know, you have elements inside of you. Well, you know? not only that, the metal in your blood, um, when the universe, when the first atoms formed 380,000 years after the universe began, there were only hydrogen, helium, and lithium. Um, how, how did we get iron if there were only hydrogen, helium, and lithium? Well, stars were born about a million years into the galaxy or into the universe's life. And some of those stars were super big and they burned themselves out fast and they died. And when stars die, their nuclei crunch together so tightly that it defies belief. And in that crunching came new forms of atomic nuclei, including iron. So your iron, the iron in your blood was born in the hearts of dying stars. So you're more than just a cousin um, to stars and stones. Um, 
dead stars of the past gave birth to you. Holy shit. Their sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is my body and my blood. Yes, you are their body and their blood. Or, and, and another thing, Chewy, um, you are the most audacious project that elementary particles like protons have ever taken on. Um, those particles have been here for 13.7 billion years, and they've tried all kinds of experiments, um, creating, creating atoms, creating uh, stars, creating galaxies, creating planets, creating moons. Um, all of those things are, are experiments in sociality among elementary particles. Uh, a moon is a whole new way of atoms getting together and socializing. Um, and now those atoms are socializing, those elementary particles are socializing in you. How the hell do they pull that off? Mm-hmm. And you could think like, you know, maybe it's just accidents, but yo, it's one hell of a coincidence. You know, well, it's evolution, but evolution doesn't really explain things. That's why I've got a book called The God Problem, How a Godless Cosmos Creates. And it dives into the problem of, you know, we got this cosmos that created elementary particles, atoms, galaxies, stars, all the things we've just been talking about. Not to mention you and me and the words that are flowing between us. How the hell does it do all of this inventing? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what that book is about. Um, it's to me, it's the most important book that I've written um, in many ways, though they're all important. Um, but uh, I don't. I'm still asking the question. I mean, this is a universe of supersized surprises, and God knows how they come to be. Yeah. So, and oh, my bad. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, sometimes when you feel down and, you know, just question your life or your purpose, you know, just just know that you are not here by accident and science and stuff like that. Just well, science is trying to prove that we are here by accident and there were an accumulation of accidents. And in other words, it's a random universe. And we're just an accumulation of random mistakes uh, that turned out to work out. And I disagree with that aspect of science. And you'll see that disagreement in, in the God problem. There are five heresies. And one of those heresies is this is not a random universe. It's, there's no God. I'm not a creationist. Um, but there are mysteries um, that we need to understand as scientists in the same way when I was 12 and became fascinated with um, the ecstatic experience and its role in the forces of history, my job as a science person was to try to understand that using the tools of science. Not to say, oh, the human spirit is not scientific, is not sci- legitimate scientific territory. Everything is legitimate scientific territory. Everything is up for questioning. Look at things right under your nose as if you've never seen them before and then proceed from there, for God's sakes. Um, so one of the things I'm trying to do is incorporate the ecstatic experience and what you call spirituality and certainly the human spirit and what the hell it is and how it pulls off what it does. I'm trying to incorporate that in legitimate science. It has never really been in legitimate science, recognized in legitimate science, much less studied before. So that's one of my missions in life. And, and as I said, today I'm 78. 
and every uh, every day you wake up is the is the start uh, of the first twenty years of your life. Um, and I have a long way to go in this life. I love your attitude, man. Uh, I wish more people were like you. Well, there's another thing. There's a piece of poetry that I found when I was in my 20s. And um, it's To His Coy Mistress by Andrew Marvel. And it said, let us take all our strength on all our sweetness and roll it up into one ball and roll it with rough strife through the iron gates of life. Thus that we cannot make our son stand still, yet we will make him run. In other words, you've only got a limited amount of time on this planet. Death is inevitable for all of us. Uh, we'll go into the reasons for that for some other time. That's another mystery that I've been trying to understand. But how do you cheat death? You cheat death by living seven lives in one. And that's what I've had the good fortune to be able to do. I mean, how many people on the planet are there who've been, who've worked with Michael Jackson and Prince and helped give them their success, and at the same time have lectured uh, a, a conference of international, an international conference of quantum physicists in Moscow about why everything they know about science is wrong, have lectured a gathering of rocket scientists about um, something, uh, a, a team I was leading, that was putting together, and we were doing this at Caltech, um, called a smirk tile. Um, how, how in the world does a person who's worked with Michael Jackson and Prince end up giving two lectures at a summit on information science? Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, it's uh, or, show, uh, or writing articles for publications like Biosystems and New Ideas in Psychology both peer-reviewed journals. Um, it just doesn't happen, but it should. Um, so, and, and something I realized about 10 years ago, remember that saying, you don't just owe your audience your songs, you owe your audience your life? Mm -hmm. Well, I realized I don't just owe my readers my books. I owe my audience the example of a life because that example says, follow all your curiosities and the things that you will be able to produce will surprise you and everybody around you. Wow. Damn, man. Follow all of your curiosities. Yep. Damn, man. <laughs> I want to go out there and follow all my dreams right now. Well, by all means, do. I mean, it's not easy, Chewy. It takes incredible persistence. And you lose heart many, many times, but you have to break what you want to achieve down into simple steps that you could in which you can execute one easy step a day. And you just, and you need to seize every opportunity that comes across your path um, because often things will come, across, will, will come across your path that will help take you where you want to go. And often those things will be in disguise. I had no idea that accepting the offer of uh, the editorship of a rock and roll magazine would take me to precisely the land where the gods are. No clue. Sometimes you have to love the one you're with. Um, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. In other words, you have to take whatever job it is you have and find within it the stuff that you are pursuing. And if you can't, maybe that's not the right job for you. Um, if you give it a year or two, 
and you can't find the divine within your work, the divine that leads you along the path toward your own destiny, um, then maybe you need another job. But following that path is your job. And remember, it's hard work and you have to stick to it day after day after day. But there's a poem that hit me big time when I was 16 years old by T.S. Eliot, The Love Song of Jail for Kufra. And it says, if you have something heroic to do, something you think will define you, something you will, that will bring the people of the opposite sex um, that you prefer um, uh, just swooning at your feet, you must start it now, today. Because if you put it off till tomorrow, you will then put it off till next week. And if you put it off till next week, you will then put it off till next year. And when you hit roughly 50, you will wake up one day and realize you no longer have the life force that it takes, the strength that it takes to pull what you always dreamed of doing off. And you will be an empty person who never was able to achieve the things that he or she felt it most important to achieve in life. So start your most important mission in life today. Like you said, it's the most important day of your next 20 years. Right, exactly. And, and 20 years from now, the day you wake up is going to be the most important day of the 20 years after that. So I should let you go. Um, I've, I've held you for almost 40 minutes oh now. God, right. You're amazing. <laughs> so, Chewy, thank you. This, this has been wonderful. Mm -hmm. And hopefully I will see you again. Yeah, for sure. And really quick, where can people find your books and your stuff? Ah, okay. It's at howardbloom.net. And to find the books, just go to Amazon and look up Howard Bloom. There are seven of them, and they're all delicious, I hope. I'm definitely going to get you some of your books, man. I'm amazed. Well, let me know what you think when you get one. So, Chewy, have a great night. Have a good weekend. Yeah, thank you very much for coming on, man. I had a blast, and you have a good weekend as well, bro. Okay, thanks, Joey. Bye. Bye. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. And if you'd like to support this podcast, check out anchor.fm slash screamingchewy gmail.com. Any contribution is greatly appreciated and that makes you my producer. If not, that's cool. I'm just happy you're tuning in. And hey, Screaming Chewy Show merch. Yeah, that's right. At teespring.com. Just Google teespring, T-E-E -E, spring, Screaming Chewy Show. Just Google that. It'll take you right there. 
And uh, yeah, you could buy hoodies, t-shirts, socks, masks. You know, if there's any stuff you'd like to see on there or purchase, just let me know and I'll add it on. And uh, yeah, you'll be rocking, styling social media don't forget to follow me on there on facebook screaming chewy show i like to share memes just make up stupid shit share my episodes on there and just whatever um check out my youtube for video versions of my podcast episodes also in between episodes i like to add me streaming yeah watch me get scared playing a creepy game or die playing PUBG or some shit, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, just check out my YouTube and uh, Twitter. It's at Ch- Screaming Chewy. Yeah, not Screaming Chewy Show. I should change it to that. But for now, it's just Screaming Chewy. And uh, thanks again for tuning in. See you next week. Peace.